Well, that is a good question to begin with. We're in a series called Magnetic, and I'm asking the question, are you magnetic? Are we a magnetic church? Are you a magnetic follower of Jesus? I want to say good morning to all of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus, those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus, and all the hundreds of folks who are joining us online. We're glad to have you. We are one church, two locations, got another campus about 20 minutes north. We'll hope you'll visit one of those campuses that are close to you. Uh, there's a famous book that was written uh, many years ago. Some of you read, you'll remember the title of the book. It was called, You Can't Go Home Again. How many of you have ever heard of that book? Okay, some of you have. It's very famous books written. When I first, I've never read the book, but one of the reasons why I haven't read it, uh, or I didn't read it at first, I've kind of skimmed through it, but I've, I know what it's about now. And one of the reasons why I didn't read it was I didn't even like the title. Because when the first time I saw that book, I thought to myself, well, of course you can go home again. You can go home anytime you want to go home. I and mean, what do you mean you can't go home again? And then as I delved into the book later on, I came to realize what that author meant. And here's what he meant by the title of that book. What he was saying was that, that once you leave a place that, that you call home, particularly if you grew up in that place, if you ever leave there and you're gone a good period of time, you really can't go home again. And the reason why you can't go home again is because home's not the same. Good example, practical illustration. Many of you know, some of you may not. I grew up about 25, 30 miles from here. My brother and I both did. And about a year ago, we got to do this again we've been talking about. About a year ago, my brother and I took a day and we just drove up to, to Hall County, which is where we grew up. We, we just grew up, we just drove around to places where he grew up and I grew up. We kind of both grew up in different parts of the county. And as we went around the county and the towns where we all grew up, what we kept saying to ourselves was, it's just not the same. Everything was different. Um, landmarks that used to be there were gone. The house where my dad grew up, gone. Places that were familiar to us growing up, torn down. Land cleared. New buildings built. Now, on a map, geographically, same place. But in almost every other way, it just wasn't the same and it never will be. Things have changed. And someone has observed, and I think rightly so, that the only permanent thing in life is change. That's it. And change is one of the inspirations of this series that we're in that we're calling Magnetic. Because if you were to go back 2,000 years ago to the first church, to the early church, to where it just, you know, first got its beginning, and then you were to look at the church today, if you really got familiar with what it was like, if you could go back in time, and you saw that early church, and then you walked into this church or any, or any church today and looked at that church, you would see how much the church has changed. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand what I mean by the word church. Because when I say the word church, different people think different things. And I hate to say this, but most of the time you're thinking about the wrong thing. For example, when I, thought, when I talk about church, there are some people out there and, and they, they think about the word religion. They associate the church with religion. And that's why more and more people today will say something like this. They'll say, now, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And what they mean is they don't go to church. That's what, really what they're telling us. And, you know, I, I'm not spiritual, but I'm religious. Because when they think about church, they think about organized religion. And then there are some people, when you think, uh, talk about church, the word that comes to their mind is denomination. 
So they think, uh, when they talk, think about church, they think about Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian or Lutheran or Presbyterian or, or Catholic or whatever. And so you've got people, some people think about organized religion. Some people think about denominations. And then a lot of people, when you mention the word church, they think about a geographical location. They, when, you, when you ask them, do you go to church, the first thing they think about is a, a church building or, or what we traditionally have called a sanctuary or some kind of an edifice, some kind of a structure where people, you know, come and get together. Now, here's the amazing thing. The word church is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Are you ready for this? It is never used at any time to mean any of those three things. The word church in the New Testament never refers to organized religion. It never refers, obviously, to a denomination and it never refers to a building or to, to one simple location. The word for church literally means a gathering. And in the New Testament, whenever the, whenever the New Testament talks about a church, it's talking about a gathering of people. And the truth of the matter is, you don't need a religious bureaucracy or a denominational branding or a specific building to have a church. To have a church, you just got to have one thing, and I just told you what it was. What do you got to have? You got to have people. That's all you got to have to have a church. You can have a church under a palm tree. You can have a church out in the desert. You can have a church out on a boat in the ocean. You don't have to have a place. It's not a matter of religion or denomination or place. You've got to have people. And therefore, that tells us something. The purpose of the church is to reach people, follow the gospel, and to draw people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what I started out telling you last week, and I'm going to remind you, is that if you were to go back 2,000 years, you would have seen something that was absolutely mind-blowing and mind-boggling because the early church had a magnetic draw that was to this day absolutely unparalleled. As a matter of fact, the growth of the early church was so expansive, it was so explosive that an entire book of the Bible was written to record what happened. Anybody know what that book's called? Acts. It's called the book of Acts. If you brought a copy of God's Word, you got a smartphone, iPad, whatever you use, and you'd like to turn along or read along with us today, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And if you don't know where that is, it's easy to find. Go to the New Testament. You've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you come to the book of Acts. So I invite you to turn to the book of Acts. And let me tell you what you're going to read today in this book. The early church was formed right after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. <clears throat> he spends several weeks with his disciples. He ascends into heaven and he leaves behind, the Bible says, about 120 people. Well, it was a, there was a feast called Pentecost, and, and it was a great gathering. It was kind of like a spiritual Mardi Gras, if you will. People came from all over to this feast, and so Peter's in the city square of Jerusalem, and he stands up in this festival called Pentecost, and he preaches right in the middle of the city the first gospel sermon, the first Christian sermon that was ever preached in history, and this was the result. We're in Acts 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and now watch this, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now think about that. He gets up and preaches a sermon, and if you read through it, even if he took his time, it may have been a 15-minute sermon, maybe. He gets up and he preaches the first sermon ever heard, doesn't have a pulpit, doesn't have a church, doesn't have a building. He's just got 
people. And he gets up and he preaches this gospel message. And the church, just like that, goes from 120 to 3,120 people. One sermon. Well, but you keep reading the book of Acts and guess what? The beat goes on. I mean, this is a story of how time after time after time, the growth of the church was relentless. They, they became a spirit. If you're from South, you can appreciate this. They became spiritual kudzu. Couldn't stop them. It grew everywhere. You read it over and over and over. For example, in Acts 2.47, we read this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You go two chapters over, Acts 4, 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of the men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now they've gone from 3,120 to over 5,000 people. Then you go a couple of chapters over, you read this. So the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased, what's that word? Rapidly, you couldn't stop it, increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. If you read the book of Acts, all in all, you're going to read Luke tell you 10 different times how the early church was exploding and how the early church was growing. And Luke tells us people were being saved by the thousands. As a matter of fact, he said every single day, seven days a week, every week in the month, every month of the year, he said every day, People were coming to the Lord. They were coming to the church. They were being baptized. They, they were joining the church. They were doing it in droves. In other words, the church was magnetic. I mean, it was like the people are iron and the church is a magnet and they're just being drawn into the church. Now, what I'm, when, the reason we're in this series is I want to ask a question. What were the magnetic qualities that drew people to the early church? And what are the qualities that you and I can have in our life that can make us a magnetic Christian and a magnetic follower of Jesus? Well, if you were here, not here last week, or you've already forgotten the message, which is probably some of you, we, you remember we told you last week that the first mark of a magnetic church and a magnetic Christian is what we called crazy love. You remember we talked about last week how Jesus said, by this will everybody know, everybody in the world will know that you're my disciples. Everybody will know there's something different about you. Everybody will know that I can change your life if you love one another as I have loved you. And so I said, one of the things that makes a church magnetic is when people walk into a church and they automatically know two things. These people love each other and these people love me. There's something magnetic when you just walk into an atmosphere of love. So we talked about that. Now, today, we're going to consider the second magnetic quality. And before I tell you what it is, and I'll tell you what it is a little bit later in the message, but before I tell you, I thought it'd be fun to kind of let you see some verses and see if you can kind of catch it for yourself, okay? So just listen to these verses. Those who accepted his message were baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But many who heard the message believed. So the word of God spread. Now, I think you see it. I don't think it's, I think it's pretty obvious 
that the common ingredient of the explosive church, uh, explosive growth of the early church was simply this. People were attracted by the message of the word of God. That was the secret sauce. People were attacked, attracted by the message of the word of God. Now, I want to tell you what a big, big deal this is. And by the way, if you're a guest of ours today and you come in and you wonder, I wonder what it is that makes Cross Point maybe a little bit different from the church down the road. And I'm not saying it makes us different from every church, but you're going to find out today and in the weeks to come, one of the big things that we have found, both by what we do and by, your sur by the survey we've done even in our church, one of the things that really makes us different. But I want to show you why this is important. So if you're in the book of Acts, go ahead and turn to the sixth chapter. That's where we're going to kind of plant ourselves, okay? In the sixth chapter of Acts, there was an event that took place. And had this event not been handled correctly, there's a good chance we wouldn't be here today. There's a pretty good chance Christianity would have been stopped dead in its tracks. There's a pretty good chance that, that, the, that, that the early church would have just kind of died and crashed and burned before it ever got started. Now, let me tell you what was going on. Remember, the church is now made up of thousands of people. And it's not a homogeneous crowd. It was a very multicultural, multi-ethnic crowd. There were people from many areas. They'd come to this feast called Pentecost. They've come to know Jesus Christ. And they're so excited about their faith. And they're so excited about knowing the Lord. They, they, don't, they just don't want to go anywhere else. They just decide, we're just going to stay here. We're going to trust God. We're going to find new work. We're going to find a job. We just want to stay here. We want to be with people who love Jesus. And we want to learn more about Jesus and learn more about our new faith. Well, with growth comes problems. And the more people you have, the more problems you have. And here was a big, big problem. There were a number of widows in the church. Now, some of these widows were, were Jewish converts to the faith, and some of these widows were Greek, and they were Gentile converts to the faith. And, and they spoke different languages, and they were from different places. But these, all, these widows all had something in common. They were hungry. They weren't being fed. They weren't being taken care of. And the early church had undertaken the responsibility of feeding these Jewish widows and these Greek widows. But here was the problem. Evidently, they were making a difference between how they treated a Jewish woman and a Greek woman. And the Greek widows weren't getting their fair share of the food. They were being neglected. They didn't, and, and they, they, they were going hungry. Everybody else is over here. They're eating, you know, steak and mashed potatoes and green beans. I'll stop right there. But they're eating this good food over here, and they're over here kind of, kind of getting, eating bread and water. So the early church has this problem, and here's the problem. They had a bunch of angry, hungry women. Every man in this room knows what I'm about to say. That is a problem of nuclear proportions. You got angry, hungry women. You got one big problem. So what did the early church do? They've got this problem. People are, the women are mad. The women are angry. And right, rightfully so. They weren't getting fed. They weren't getting their fair share of the food. So what did the early church do? They do what a lot of churches do today. They turned to the pastor and said, you handle the problem. That, that's what we pay you to do. So the early church, they turned to, these, to, the, to the apostles, the original 11 disciples, and they said, okay, we want you to solve this problem. We want you to get involved, and you take care of this problem. Well, the, those apostles made a decision that literally saved the growth of the church, and it literally saved the progress of the Christian faith. Now, I want you to watch what they did. This is, so, this is one of the things I based my entire ministry on, by the way. Listen to the decision that they made. We're in verse, uh, verse uh, 2. So, 
the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, let me tell you what they did. It's, just, it's, really, it's hard for a pastor to do this, right? Because in a typical church, here's what people expect. Somebody's sick, we expect the pastor to go see them. Somebody's in need of this or that, we expect the pastor to meet that need. If somebody needs to be visited, we expect the pastor to make that visit. I mean, that's kind of the, the mentality of a lot of people. Hey, that's what you're supposed to do, right? And so that's what they were saying to these apostles. Okay, you're an apostle, you handle the problem. And these 11 men had the courage to stand up to these people and say, no, we're not going to do that. We are adamant. Whatever else we do, we are not going to give up the preaching of the word of God. Why were they so adamant? Why did they dig in their heels? Why did they say, no, we're not going to solve, we're going to solve the problem, but we're not going to solve it ourselves. We're going to keep on preaching the word. Why did they do that? Because they knew something. They said, if we quit preaching the word of God, the church will quit growing. If we quit preaching the word of God, people will no longer come to Christ. And if the church quits growing, Christianity will die. So you may remember the story. If you don't, I'll tell you what happened. They said to them, you go find a group of men that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. We now call them deacons. And he said, they said, you let them take over this part of the ministry of the church because we want to continue to focus like a laser beam on this. We want to continue to focus on studying the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and proclaiming the Word of God. And when they made that decision, when they dug in their heels and said, no, this is what we need to do. We're not going to do what you can do because you can't do what God's called us to do. So we're going to do this. You're going to do that. An amazing thing happened. Watch this. So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. Would you read that word again? Rapidly. And a large number. By the way, this is big. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, that's not what you've expected to have read, right? If you were reading this story and just kind of moving along, you would have expected verse 7 to say something like, well, and the widows were fed and everybody lived happily ever after. That's not what it says. Oh, the widows were fed. They did get the food there. And they did calm the women down. And that was a big deal, okay? But that's not the most important thing that happened. Yeah, the widows were getting fed and they were happy. But the most important thing that happened was the word of God continued to spread the church of God continued to grow. The number of the disciples exploded. A large number of Jewish priests came to the faith, and it all happened because of one simple thing. The word of God spread. That's it. That's where the rubber hit the road. Now, with that backdrop, okay, I want to share with you three very brief truths that every church and every Christ follower should remember. If you really want the church to be magnetic in the right way, and if you really want to be magnetic in the right way, if you want to be a church, and I want to be a church that draws people to Jesus, and if you want to be a kind of a believer that draws people to Jesus, there are three things I want you to remember, because remember what I told you last week, see if you were listening, a magnetic church is simply a church made up of, come on, somebody remember. Magnetic what? People, right? So let's say that together. A magnetic church is made up 
of magnetic people. Let's say it again because you're not going to forget. I'm going to ask you again next week and you better be good, all right? A magnetic church, say it with me, a magnetic church is made up of magnetic people. That's it, okay? So the question is, okay, so how does the Word of God fit into the church? How does the Word of God fit in to us? Well, real simple. What the early church did then, we need to do today. What the apostles did then, we need to do today. All right? Three simple things. Watch this. Number one, we should emphasize the priority of God's Word. We should emphasize the priority of God's Word. Now, let's go back to verse 7 and let's see what happens. So, the Word of God spread. Now, that word spread is a very interesting word. In the Greek language, it's the word oxano, which literally means to grow or to increase. Now, that doesn't obviously mean that the Bible just got bigger and bigger and bigger, okay? That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that the scrolls got longer and longer and longer. We're not talking about size. We're talking about exposure. In other words, there was more and more preaching of the Word of God from the church And there was more and more penetrating of the word of God in the hearts and minds of believers. And because the apostles had been freed to preach the word of God, more people had the opportunity to hear the word of God. More people took advantage of that opportunity. More people became followers of Jesus Christ. More people had their lives changed. Because remember what had happened. We just read where the apostles had been tempted As a matter of fact, they had even been requested to just put the Word of God aside, just put the Word of God up on the shelf, just put that aside, and and, and, and just, just, I mean, just quit preaching the Word of God, just get involved, give everything you've got to feeding the widows, get everything you've got of finding and buying the food, get get, get totally involved in in, in waiting on these tables, And, and let me just say, let me stop, time out, those are good things, widows ought to be fed. Food ought to be bought. Tables ought to be waited on. People ought to be ministered to. Good things. But for the apostles, they were not the best things. And Luke gives us a clue as to why this would have been an unmitigated disaster, both for the church and for unbelievers. Because in verse 2, if you remember, he had quotes, here's what basically the apostles said to the church. They said, if we do what you ask us to do, if we say, okay, we're no, longer, we're no longer going to be preachers of the word. We're going to be waiters on tables. If that's what you really want us to do. They said, we're telling you right now, it will be a grave mistake. And in verse 7, he reports, the great things that happened because they did not forsake the ministry of the word. The point is, the word of God kept increasing. The word of God kept growing. The church continued to multiply. The magnet kept drawing because the apostles did not make the strategic mistake of prioritizing anything else above the preaching of God's word. So let me just make this one observation. If I die today, I want you to remember this, okay? The greatest threat to the church, any church, the greatest threat to this church, the greatest threat to the church, the greatest threat to any church, and the greatest threat to Christianity itself will always be anything that threatens the authority of the Word of God. Don't ever forget that. Anything that threatens the authority of this book and the authority of God's Word will always be the greatest threat of the church. See, let me just say this, and I'm not trying to be ugly when I say this, but being honest. There are all kinds of ways that you can draw a crowd. And and there are all kinds of ways you can increase numbers. 
And there is certainly nothing wrong with being creative. I believe in being creative. There's nothing wrong with using technology. There's nothing wrong with being attractive and, 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 using, and being attractional in your ministry. I'm just wanting you to know that if, if the book of Acts is true, the one magnet the church can't do without is the word of God. Whatever else you got going, whatever else you got going for you, whatever else people like, you've got to have the Word of God. We must always emphasize the priority of God's Word, all right? Number two, we should emphasize the preaching of God's Word. If you emphasize the priority of God's Word, you emphasize the preaching of God's Word. Now, we've already seen that when the Word of God is preached, I mean, things happen. God things happen. This is what happened in the early church. Listen to it again. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. By the way, the word there for increase rapidly, it literally means to multiply. In other words, Luke said the early church grew so explosively, it grew so quickly, it grew so fast. He said it doesn't even do justice to say, well, people were being added to the church. He said, no, what's better than that was bigger than that. People were being multiplied to the church. And notice something else. He didn't say the number of decisions increased rapidly. He said the number of disciples increased rapidly. Now, that's very important because in first century Palestine, the word disciple didn't mean what we kind of think of it to mean. You know, we think of a disciple as, 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 some, as a pupil that goes to class or, or someone that just learns something from a book or someone that studied under, that maybe studied under a famous teacher. That's not what the word disciple means. The best term, the best synonym I know for the word disciple would be the word today we'd use called apprentice. A disciple is an apprentice. Here's what a disciple was. A disciple is someone that so admired a certain person, that so wanted to emulate his life, that so wanted to learn from what he believed, that he literally became a follower of that teacher, and he literally began to adopt the way that teacher lived his or her life. So a disciple was someone who said, I want to be just like you. I want to know what you want know. I want to learn what you know. I want to live the way you live. I want to act the way you act. I, in effect, want to kind of replicate who you are. And so here you've got these people now who are coming out of paganism. They're coming out of Judaism. They're coming out of belief, unbelief. And now they're not just believing in Jesus. They're hearing the preaching of the word of God, not only with their ears, but with their head. And they're getting Jesus not just into their head, but into their heart. And they've decided, we want to be disciples. We want to go all in. We want to become devoted followers of Jesus. We want to learn how to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. As a matter of fact, we want him to live through us. And see, this is what you learn here. It's real simple. The more pastors preach the word of God and the more People share the Word of God. And the more we teach the Word of God, the more disciples will be made. Now, let me stop because this is, this, this is probably maybe the most important thing I want all of you to hear. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be on staff at a church. You don't have to have seminary training. You don't have to be ordained. You don't even have to be a theologian to share the word of God with your friends. 
and to share the word of God with your neighbors or to share the word of God that people brings into the path of your life on a daily basis. Listen, I hate to say this. Some people are not going to like me saying this. You probably say, I wish you wouldn't say that, but I've got to say it. You don't even have to come to church to be magnetic. Now, if you're magnetic, you'll want to come to church. That's why I don't mind saying that. But you don't even have to come to church to be magnetic. You don't even have to be in a magnetic church to be magnetic. Here's what I want you to learn. This is what Luke's trying to tell us. When you, just ordinary run-of-the-mill dime a dozen, you and me, when we're just out there where we work, where we live, where we play, when we take every opportunity we can just to share the Word of God, however that may come across, however you may do it, when we share the Word of God, what Luke is saying is, you'll become a magnet that God will use to draw other people to him. So when I say that we ought to emphasize the preaching of the word of God, I don't mean just here, though I do mean here. I don't just mean here. Here's the truth of the matter. Can I let you in a little dirty secret? You know who's been called to preach the gospel in this room? Anybody want to take a guess? Just take a wild guess. Everybody. Everybody. Okay, so if you ever want to be called reverend, just tell your wife to or call you rev, okay? You've been called to preach just as much. You, listen, you don't need a pulpit to preach. You don't need a church to preach. You just need somebody to preach to. We ought to emphasize the priority of God's word. We ought to emphasize the preaching of God's word. Now, here's the last thing. We should emphasize the practice of God's word. Now, what you're about to see, every time I read this, I still just shake my head. The last part of the last verse in this section still blows me away. Every time I read it, I go, man, I wish it would happen today. Listen to this. A large number of, can you see that word? Priest. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, some of you coming from a different background, you might say, well, I don't understand why that's so amazing. I mean, the guy's a priest. I mean, a priest ought to become obedient to the word. I mean, the guy is a priest. Well, wait a minute. Do you understand what he's talking about here and who he's talking about? Nobody. In the early days of the church, nobody was more against Christianity. Nobody despised the name of Jesus more. Nobody wanted to see Christianity stopped more. Nobody wanted to see Christianity die more. Nobody wanted to kill the gospel more than Jewish priests. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars say that probably in that number were some priests who had Jesus crucified. Some of those were probably priests that were at his trial and condemned him and made him guilty. And yet we're told that an untold number of priests who helped to crucify Jesus, something miraculously happened. When they heard the preaching of the gospel, when they heard the preaching of God's word, they were irresistibly drawn to not only God's word, they were drawn to God's son. And you've got these priests Their full-time job was being a Jewish priest. And when they heard the word of God and they heard the gospel and they saw how Jesus had changed the lives of their friends and their neighbors, they took off their collar, gave up their priesthood, and came to faith in Jesus Christ. See, that's why I entitled this message. And by the way, this is the second characteristic that makes you magnetic. First one is crazy love. Second one, straight talk. Straight talk. 
That's why I call this message Straight Talk, because I want you to understand what I mean and what it means to share the message of God's Word. See, when we go back to the early church, here's one thing we do know. One thing that was always preached was the gospel. Now, let's make sure you understand what the gospel is, right? The gospel was a very simple message. It involved the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. So everybody was told, whether you were Jew, Gentile, believer, unbeliever, went to church, or you were pagan, didn't matter. This was the simple message. God loves you. You're a sinner. Jesus Christ died on the cross. God raised him to the dead three days later. He wants to come into your life, and if he comes into your life, he will radically change you, forgive you, and he will give you eternal life. And that was the driving message of the church. And they made sure they always preached that. They preached repentance. They they preached faith. But what I want you to understand is there was far more than just the gospel whenever they would stand up and preach and teach or whenever they would go out and share the word of God. Because remember, let me just remember the culture they're living in. They're living in a culture that doesn't care a lot about two classes of people, women and children. This is a culture that's not kind to women and children. Back in that day, Married men not only could sleep with other women if they were married, they were expected to sleep with other women. And the wife was expected to like it. And I'm talking about not just other women, I'm talking about prostitutes. That's why, that's why had, they had a lot of prostitute religion back in that day. And if they had an unwanted child, things haven't changed for 2,000 years. They just would either abort the child or oftentimes, you know what they do? They just leave the child out to die somewhere. And then all of a sudden, the church comes along. And the apostles and the people, they begin to share this message called the Word of God. They begin to talk about this man named Jesus. They begin to talk about how Jesus treated women. And they begin to talk about how Jesus treated children. And a man named Paul came along and began to talk about things they'd never heard much talk about before, like marriage and divorce and respect for women and how to treat a wife and things they'd never heard before like, yeah, husbands, you ought to be married to only one woman and be faithful to that woman. And yes, God loves everybody, especially little babies and the most vulnerable people in society like little babies should be cared for. And yes, women are not just a piece of sexual property. Women should be given respect and they should be treated with dignity. Well, can you imagine what happened in that culture 2,000 years ago? A woman would hear that. She'd say, I want in on that. A man would all of a sudden realize what a lousy, just terrible husband he had been. And God would change him and he would go home and say to his wife, I've never seen you the way I see you before, but now I get it. You're not just my wife. You're God's gift to me. And I'm going to tell you from now on, I'm getting off the pedestal. I'm putting you on the pedestal. I want to tell you how I'm going to treat you and how I'm going to love you. And yeah, we've got three daughters, and I already wanted a son, and I really wanted to kill one of the daughters and hopefully have another son. But you know what? Now I love these daughters as if they were sons. And when people people began to hear that kind of stuff, they were drawn like magnets, like iron to magnets, to these unbelievable truths because they weren't just true. They weren't just intellectually stimulating. It wasn't that what they were hearing was just different. It was life-changing. It was transforming. It changed marriages. It saved uh, saved marriages. It changed families. 
It just totally turned the culture upside down. And see, what I want you to understand is this. It wasn't just the preaching of the Word of God that changed lives. It wasn't just preaching that changed lives. It wasn't just speaking truth that transformed people. It was speaking God's truth and living God's truth in front of everybody else. That was so life-changing. And I'm simply saying to us today, whatever magnets the church wants to draw people, and there are a lot of churches using a lot of magnets. I'm going to say this. I'm not going to back up from it. If a church wants to draw people to the right thing in the right way for the right reason, the number one magnet that ought to be out front is this book right here. The number one magnet that ought to be prioritized above everything else is the preaching of this book right here. That's why, by the way, we have values we've adopted in our church. And you may not remember this, but the very first value that we adopted, the value that's at the top of all the other values, remember what it is? Say that with me. Biblical authority. That's our number one value above everything. That's our foundational value. Biblical authority. Now, close your Bibles. Put your pens down. Turn off your phones and iPads just for a minute. I want everybody to just look up here now. Okay, if you've been asleep, wake up. Somebody's been next to you asleep, slap them. I want you to look up here and I want you to listen to this, okay? Because I, I, I don't want you to miss what I'm about to tell you. I've had a lot of people come up and say a lot of things to me, as you can imagine, over 40 years of ministry. Thousands of people. But about two years ago, this month, I had a couple come up to me and say one of the most amazing, incredible things. It's one of the most amazing conversations I've ever had with anyone in my life. And what that conversation did for me forever solidified and cemented in my heart that our church will always be a church that prioritizes that book. Our church will always be a church that preaches this book. And our church will always be a church that practices this book. It's absolutely one of the most amazing conversations I've ever had. So let me tell you what happened. It was after an 11 o'clock service. It was like the second Sunday, I think, in January. In fact, it was three, two years ago this, this Sunday. I was out in the, out in, out in the lobby, and, and there was a young couple there with three beautiful, beautiful, handsome couple. I had three beautiful children. And they were waiting to speak to me very patiently in the lobby. So when they finally got up to me, they, they, they introduced themselves. And so I always ask the question, well, how long have you been coming here? Well, they've been here about four weeks. And so I said, you know, why have you come? And they said, well, we, we want to become partners. We'd like to join the church. We'd like to be a part of the church. I said, oh, okay, wonderful. I said, so had you been going to church? And they told me, yeah, we've been going to a church, you know, you know, in this area, local church in this area. So I said to them, well, so how long have you been attending that church? And the husband said, we've been going there 12 years. Well, when he said that, his wife just starts bawling, not, not sobbing. She starts bobbing, puts her head in hands like this, you know, she's just crying. And, and boy, I thought, well, I, have I said something wrong? I mean, I wasn't trying to, you know, strike a nerve. And then the husband looked at me and he said, uh, well, let me explain why my wife is crying. I said, okay. And what he said, he said two things to me. I'm going to tell you the first one. The next thing he said to me absolutely stunned me. Dodson, you're back there. Where's, where's Dodson? I've been your pastor, what, 20-something years or ever how long it goes back? Too long. I'm, you need to leave. <laughs> but Richard, seriously, my jaw dropped when they said this to me. That husband looked at me, and he said, we've been coming here four weeks. 
We started coming two weeks before Christmas. Buckle your seatbelt. He said, we have learned more and we have grown more in this church in four weeks than we did in the 12 years we were in our former church. My jaw dropped. Hit the floor. Couldn't believe it. He wasn't finished. He said, we heard about your church. And he said, we heard there was a strong emphasis on the word of God, so we decided to visit. He said, the first Sunday we were here, he said, my wife and I, they were sitting, I didn't notice, I didn't even see them. He said, my wife and I were sitting on the front row. And he said, quite frankly, up until you got up, he said, much of what we experienced, we experienced in our other church. We had great music and great worship, and it was, you know, you know, upbeat and a lot of young people, and you know, and, and you know, it was really just kind of pretty much the same. He said, then you did something that we hadn't seen very much in our other church, and we just hadn't heard very much. He said, You told us to take God's word. And you told us to turn to the passage you were preaching on. And he said, then you begin to preach the scripture just verse by verse by verse. He said, I, looked, I heard something. And I looked over at my wife about halfway through your message. And he said, I noticed she was crying. He said, tears just falling down her cheeks. He said, I looked at her and he said, I asked her, why are you crying? Now, listen to this. This is a second statement. She leaned over to him and she said, I finally figured out what's been missing in our church. Because for years they kept saying, something's missing. We love our church. We thank God for our church. Something is missing. <clears throat> she said, I just figured out what we've been missing. He said, what is it? She said, as much as we loved so much about our church. She said, honey, now I know what it is. He said, what is it? Tell me. She said, now listen to this. This is what she said. We have been starving to death. And now we're getting fed the word of God. Now, this, one about, this is important. I am not telling you that to criticize another church. I don't throw rocks at other churches. I'm out of that business. I'm not that's why I'm telling you the story. And I'll never tell you which church it is. It'll go to the grave with me. It doesn't matter which church it is. But I'll tell you, I made up my mind again about something that day, and nobody's ever going to change it. Our church may be accused of a lot of things, but I never want us to be accused of failing to preach and teach this book, and I never want to be accused of starving people to death. So understand this. This is a double-edged sword. Understand this. Because we're living in a culture today where you say, oh boy, that's great. That's right, boy. You preach it. But just remember, when you preach this book, you, not just, you don't just attract people, you repel people. If you get serious about preaching this book, people not only will come, they'll leave. People will not only join and stay, they'll decide we're just not really into this. Because it not only draws people to God, it will drive people from God if they don't accept the truth. I know that. But here's the other thing I also know. 
when this book is spread, when you just make up your mind, I really, in the end, I don't really care who likes it and who doesn't. I really, in the end, can't really care who agrees with it and who doesn't agree with it. I can't really get caught up. Does this make you comfortable or uncomfortable? Here's what I know. When the word of God is spread, people from all walks of life will be drawn to the church and they'll be drawn to Jesus. They will become disciples. They will become followers. And that's just straight talk. Let's pray together.